0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John 3, 11 to verse 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not, lo- do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The word of the Lord.
1: I have the incredible privilege of introducing you to our speaker this morning, Christine Suh. Pastor Christine is um, up at Fellowship Church, a gospel centered, multi ethnic, intergenerational church in Monrovia, California, where she serves as the pastor of Spiritual Formation. She is also no stranger to contexts like this, because prior to that, she was at Pepperdine University, where she served as the Assistant Director of Spiritual Formation, working with students for student care and overseeing student chaplaincy. It takes about three seconds of engaging with Christine to feel her warmth and her wisdom, so we are in for an incredible treat this morning. And I ask that you would join me in welcoming her this morning, um, Pastor Christine Sa. Good morning, Point Loma. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I was praying this morning and asking God for a very specific word, and I felt so grateful uh, just for even this worship service that led us into this moment. Uh, this concept of loving one another and, and, and aligning ourselves with what God wants us to be, who God wants us to become as a people. Um, but during my time at Pepperdine and during my time at Fellowship, I had only heard of your faith and hope and love, and I just wanted to thank Esteban and Sam and Melanie and countless others who have welcomed me so graciously to your campus this morning. Um, I wanted to show a quick picture of my family, just so that you have a little bit of context, that I don't come alone. Um, when I come here this morning, I come with my family um, who's supporting me, and so I have a picture, I think, uh, someone in the back. Oh, I knew that would win you over, and now I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is a picture of my my family. Uh, the grown-up in the photo is my husband, Dave, um, and I have two kiddos: Samuel, who's six, and Elizabeth, who is uh, four. Um, but it is truly an honor to be with you here this morning. Uh, well, about a year ago, my parents had a massive garage sale. They had been talking about it for years and years and years, but they didn't have the capacity to actually do it until my sister and I left, um, living at their home. And so, several years after that, my parents decided they're finally going to do this garage sale thing. And they kind of gave up. You know, we had kind of hoarded so many things over the course of our our childhood and our life um, that they ended up kind of throwing everything on the curb and putting an ad on Craigslist saying, "Come, anyone." buy things, (laughs) and so people were coming, and there was so much stuff. I think we took up half of a block. Um, This is in Koreatown, where my parents live, and um, I felt like when I um, arrived, initially, my parents didn't tell me that they were doing this because... um, it was like a hurtful garage sale. They were selling off our childhood memories. <laughs> so they didn't tell us about it. So I found out about it, I think through someone else telling me that it's happening. I'm like, my, my house is going on sale. So anyway, I went, I went and I, and I uh, arrived and all of this stuff was everywhere. I kind of felt like I was in a version of Korean American Pickers. Do you guys know that show, American Pickers? <laughs> like I just was like, what is here? There are treasures everywhere or not. You know, I <laughs> just wasn't sure. And through the piles and piles of things that were around, there was this one thing that kind of glistened out. And it wasn't, it wasn't a beautiful thing, it was very tattered and had some rough edges to it. But it was a sign that had been with my family for three uh, homes that we lived in throughout the course of my childhood. This sign had seen my dad experience his alcoholism and overcoming uh, his addiction. It had seen my family survive kind of immigrant life um, in America. It had seen my family, my parents' marriage struggle and come forth to what it is today, which I'm so thankful for today. But this sign, it was, uh, I have a picture of it now um, in, my, in my home because I took it with me. I was like, you are not taking this from me. But it's a sign in Korean that says, <laughs> Yesu sarang, sarang. And those words are, love Jesus, love one another. Love Jesus, love one another. So I took this sign with me. Did the picture go up or? No, no, that is okay. You can just imagine a sign. <laughs> <It> says, yesu sarang, sarang. Love one another, love, love Jesus. This sign... Um, it wasn't just a nostalgic find, it was more than that to me, because metaphorically, oftentimes in our Christian circles, we forget this anchoring message of the gospel. This anchoring message in the midst of just doing church life or doing discipleship, all important things uh, that we're doing, sometimes in the muddiness and then in, in, in kind of the, 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 the a lot of things that are going on in, in the Christian life, we can forget This anchoring message, love Jesus, love one another. Sometimes our sermons are about how we need to love the world out there, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people we go to school with. But today's sermon is not about loving the world out there. It's about loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a body of believers. So the passage I'm going to read to you is about a family love. A Family love. Can you look to your neighbor and say, Family love? Family love. I'm going to have you do that. I go, I pastor at a multi ethnic church, so we speak back to one another and back to me. So let's turn to 1 John 3 11 to 18. I, I want us to return back to this passage. And I want to thank you for reading the passage with me. And it says this, I'll read it again because it's important for us to hear this word again. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John reminds us of Jesus' command to love one another by three things. First, turning away from death. Secondly, turning towards life. And lastly, embodying our faith. I'll have you repeat those things to me as I go through the sermon. I won't do it right now turning away from death, turning towards life and embodying our faith. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much for each of my brothers and sisters in this room. God, thank you that you are the God of the universe yet you care for every single person in this space. You've created them with a purpose, with an identity as your beloved son or daughter. God, and you've brought them here to hear a word from you. And God, we're not here by chance. We're here by your spirit. God, we ask that you would speak directly to each one of us this morning. God, we need to hear from you. We need your spirit to sustain us. We need your your word to guide us and lead us. So God, I ask that you would do a miraculous work this morning. God, that you would bless us, encourage us, fill us, challenge us, convict us, change us, shape us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Help us to love one another. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. So firstly, we turn away from death. We turn away from death. Leading up to this passage in chapters one to three, the apostle John says that we are children of light. We are children of light called to fellowship with God and with each other. Let's take a look at verse 11 together. John tells the church, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain is the only biblical character that John mentions in his epistle, and so it's important that we dive into Cain's story. Genesis 4 unpacks the story of the first family. Cain is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, and both he and Abel offer worship to God, but God accepts Abel's sacrifice and rejects Cain's because Abel's sacrifice is more pleasing to God. Soon after this, Cain reacts, in jealousy and in rage, and he kills his brother. God seeks out Cain very similarly to how he sought out Cain's parents in the Garden of Eden. And he asks Cain, where is your brother? Where is your brother? And this question is reminiscent of those question, that question that God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? It's an opportunity that God is giving Cain to confess, to tell the truth about what happened. But instead Cain, instead Cain gives the first lie recorded in human history. He tells God, "I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper?" God tells Cain that his brother's blood is crying out to him from the ground. His blood is crying out to God from the ground. I've read this story many, many times in my Christian formation, but for some reason, this time around, as I studied the passage this week, the story of two brothers brought me to tears. I allowed my imagination to think through Abel and Cain's brotherly relationship in light of my own children, seeing them play together, fight together, play together again. But what could have led to such hatred that Cain would murder his own blood? his own brother. I tried to envision how scared Abel must have been to have thought he was safe with his older brother, but instead was attacked. The Hebrew word for keeper is the word shamar. Shamar is a verb that simply means to keep watch over, to guard. It's it's the act of watching over a garden or a flock of sheep or a herd of cattle. Cain was supposed to watch over and guard his younger brother like a shepherd keeps his sheep. But instead, he does the opposite. He takes his brother's life. I want us for a brief moment to sit with the question that Cain asks God, because I believe that this question reveals a lot about our own hearts. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? This question is a question that we ask all the time, whether we realize it or not. We wonder what our responsibility is for caring for the people around us. Somewhere along the way, Cain started to think that Abel was an enemy to him. He started to think Abel was the cause of his problems. Maybe Cain felt that his parents loved Abel more than, he, more than him. Maybe he felt jealous that Abel was more gifted or more successful. Maybe they had a dynamic uh, in their relationship growing up from childhood that made him resent his brother. Whatever the reason was, Abel became Cain's enemy. And in believing this, Cain responded with hate and with scarcity. In his mind, there wasn't room enough for both of them. And when he kills Abel, he enacts the first murder in humanity. My heart ached with this story because I felt the depth of what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate here. He uses a family unit, the first family, to describe how bound we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. We may not be related in blood and biology, but we are related by the blood of Jesus. Amen? We are related by the blood of Jesus. We're not related in blood by biology, but we are related by the blood of Jesus. We are family. We are a body of believers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what this means is we're supposed to be keepers of one another. We're supposed to be guardians of one another. Can turn to your neighbor and say, keeper, keeper. We all have a version of Cain's question. It might not be, am I my brother's keeper? But it might be, why should I care? They made that decision themselves. The version of the question you might have instead of, am I my brother's keeper? It may be, whatever they did happened to them, it's, I'm, not, I'm not responsible for them. Or maybe even this one, it's cloaked in all of the right spiritual language. God's got them, she, she's in God's hands, so it's not on me. Where in your life is God asking you about your brother or sister in Christ? And you've become deafened to God's voice, hardened to God's voice. Where in your life have you, like Cain, believed that God is scarce? God is inviting us to turn away from death, to turn away from death. Bernard Clairvaux of the 11th century talks about the differences between a reservoir and a canal. And he says this, I'll read the quote. The person who is wise, the person who is wise will see their life as more like a reservoir than a canal. The canal simultaneously pours out what it receives. The reservoir retains the water till it is filled, then discharges the overflow without loss to itself. Today, there are many in the church, many in Christianity who act like canals, and the reservoirs are far too rare. What Cain didn't realize, and what we need to know today, is that God's economy is like a reservoir. God functions in abundance. God functions in abundance, he's like a reservoir. In the church as a family of God, in Christian context and in the body that's supposed to be grounded in the overflowing, abundant love of God, we can fall into a scarcity mentality that keeps us very limited that keeps us protecting ourselves and our own reputation or our own, or our own um, situations. So many of us have grown up in contexts like Cain where we felt compared to or we felt the need to compete with one another. We're so used to this mentality that even with God, the creator of the universe, we think that God does not have enough favor to go around for each one of us. But in God's economy, there is no scarcity In God's economy, there is no scarcity. We trust Jesus' words that he came to bring life and life abundant. Life abundant to every single one of God's children without loss to one another. The abundance is everywhere. It's available for each one of us. God is a reservoir. He functions in abundance. I have so many tendencies towards scarcity I have so many tendencies towards control that block God's abundant compassion from reaching me. I'm comfortable with who I let into my life and who I think I need to keep out. But I've been convicted lately that God is stretching me to open my hands. Can you all do this with me? This is clenched fists to open hands. I can see all of you. Please do this with me. (laughs) Clenched fists (laughs) to open hands. When you do this, you you sense the stress and the strain and the resistance. You sense the limitation, you sense the control. But when we open our hands to God, we're able to receive that abundant compassion that can flow through us. Amen? Resistance, scarcity, blockage to abundance and overflow. We are reservoirs. Anytime I feel clenched fists with the people around me, In a parking lot, I feel like I almost did that to someone today, it's like, ah, ah, sorry, (laughs) I'll park, well. um, In traffic, if someone's going too slow or too fast, I can start to do this. In the grocery store, someone has so many things and I have two items, (laughs) clenched fists come my way. At home in a tense conversation with a loved one, this can take place or even in class when school is out but someone's trying to keep the teacher talking for a longer period of time or you know that, that kind of situation where just a clenched fist can, can take place. I ask God to give me open hands and I hope you can ask God to give you open hands because it's a posture of your heart. It's a posture of your heart. Open hands, open heart. Opening my hands is a way to release, to confess, to surrender. Hatred, bitterness, jealousy, annoyance to remove any blockage from becoming a reservoir. It is my way of saying to Jesus, as I give you my anger, as I give you my resentment, my selfishness, God, would you place in my soul compassion? God, would you give me empathy? Would you give me perspective to see every single person coming my way as bearing the image of God? Would you help me to see your children as bearing the Imago Dei? I can't give you God's compassion if it's not in my heart. We cannot give what we do not have. But when we open our hands, that mirror an open heart, God's compassion enters our life and it begins to fill us in such a way that when we feel like we don't have capacity to love our brother or sister, we still pour it out. We pour out God's compassion. As as Christians, when we hate, when we hate, we take the life of a brother or a sister. When we love, we give life to them. Amen? Amen. We turn away from hate. We turn away from death. And secondly, we we obey Jesus' command to love by turning towards life. We turn towards life. Verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. In verse 16, John, the Apostle John reaches back, 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 back to his own last moments with Jesus. He was one of the only disciples that stayed to watch Jesus be crucified. He was a witness to Jesus' outstretched arms. I would have you do this with me, but you might hit someone next to you. But you can try. outstretched arms. Apostle John was a witness to Jesus's outstretched arms of love. A film came out last year that I loved so much that I watched it four times in the theaters, and if you've seen it, you know why I was so moved by the film. It was a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor, and it featured Fred Rogers a.k.a. Mr. Rogers, and for those of you who don't know who Mr. Rogers was, he was one of the first PBS show hosts for children's education. He was actually an ordained minister, but at a critical juncture in his life, a door opened for him to work in TV, and instead of taking the traditional route of working in a church and having a congregation and a parish, he reframed his ministry lens he took that opportunity to shape and form children and families every single day. Instead of having a captive audience on Sunday mornings, every single day he was pouring into and investing in children and families who bore the Imago Day. He sang a particular song to start out the show, and I, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but as I studied the lyrics, I felt that Mr. Rogers was expressing Jesus's heart for us, these outstretched arms of love. I wanted to sing it for you, and I'd like you to close your eyes so you can let the words wash over you. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor, would you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a lovely day in this beauty, would a neighborly day for a beauty, would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine, won't you be my neighbor, won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor. This was Mr. Rogers' liturgy. You can clap it up for Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Rogers. Okay. This was Mr. Rogers' regular liturgy. His regular liturgy. Every single day, he was singing this song as his liturgy. A question based on an invitation of life that Jesus gives to each one of us. From this place, moving from death to life. Jesus asking each one of us, won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Please, won't you be mine? When Cain heartlessly asks, Am I my brother's keeper? Jesus asks each one of us, Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you come to me all? You who are weary and burdened, won't you be mine? I will give you rest. I'll give you life. I'll give you what you need. When our natural inclination or posture is to fold our arms towards the people who harm us and who hurt us you can do this with me. When our natural inclination is to fold our arms towards one another Jesus shows us the cross. He's on the cross. He's outstretched arms of love saying, "Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine?" In John 13, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 34, as I have loved you, love one another, love one another. When he washes his disciples' feet, I need you to know that Judas was in that circle, the one who would betray him in a few hours. And Jesus knew that, having that knowledge, he still washed Judas' feet. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Love one another. What Cain could not do, Jesus did. What Cain could not do, Jesus did. Cain kills the person he perceives as his enemy, but Jesus washes the feet of his enemy. As followers of Jesus, we are people who wash our enemies' feet. Amen? Amen. We are people who lay down our life, who lay down our life with the outstretched arms of love in the way that Jesus did. And when we do this, when we stretch out our arms, we bring life from death. We bring life from death. And Jesus says to us, the world will know me by your love for one another. The world will know me by your love for one another, even your enemies. Lastly, we're commanded to love one another by embodying our faith. John concludes, the passage by saying, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. And I just realized I'm out of time, (laughs) I went over. But I hope you hear me today, my brothers and sisters, these images of clenched fists to open hands From folded arms to outstretched arms of love, Jesus calls us to live as people of abundance, amen? Amen. People of abundance. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are families. We are family, and we are families. I know there are families here too. We are the family of God. Let me pray for us, and we can end our time together. God, we thank you that you've called us as your children God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. Some of us view one another as enemies if we've been harmed or hurt by one another. But God, I ask that you would give us your perspective again, that you would give us your heart again, that you would give us capacity again because you fill us up with your compassion, God. We want to remove any blockage that, that keeps us from receiving your compassion today, Lord. So God, I ask that you would fill up my brothers and sisters, give them courage and strength and your sustaining love to overflow onto one another so that we can truly be your children of light to this world that is in such desperate need of it, God. We love you, and it's in your name, in the name of Jesus, who had the ultimate outstretched arms of love. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Point Loma. Have a good rest of your day.